0: Miss Macintosh, My Darling, Chapter 46 Not only had Cousin Hannah been that great liberator of woman, and not only had she been that troubadour with her flaming message she had carried to the four corners of the earth, knocking on all gates, all hearts, even dead hearts, as if they were paving stones, the message that love should not be bound to mortal love, that love should flee with an immortal love, this valiant wanderer's life had included many secret chapters of mountain climbing, as Mr. Spitzer now understood. And she was never bound to finite valleys, not even the valley of the shadow of death, for she had climbed so many formidable mountains and supernumerary peaks, that if she had not been famous for her suffrage battles and duels and tournaments, her knightly jousts, perhaps with ghostly knights who long ago had fallen, perishing for love of the white queen or the black queen, she would have won her laurels and her spurs for the inexpressible and inaccessible mountain she had climbed, for the places where she had set her foot or pitched her tent hung with moorish temple bells or golden cords, her tent cut with many windows, and she would have been famous for the mountains which were greater than mountains, for that great Matterhorn, Mount Rosa, Mount Blanc, Manche, Wetterhorn, like the undiscovered snow-peaked mountains rising Alp above Alp through consciousness when she died, rising from subterranean depths with crumbling castles burning with ember lights on their crumbling cliffs, and snow hurtling through clouds like suddenly awakened furies, like roaring tides. She had ascertain- he had ascertained that throughout all the boreal regions of this world, as throughout the Alps, throughout all the ranges of frozen mountain peaks and wastelands, where there were flowers as secretive as snow on snow, the same flowers may be found white on white, much like the flowers of consciousness in a dying, or dead or dying world, or like the asphodel in fields of paradise, like the flowers hidden to man. Perhaps there was an astral flower growing at the North Pole or the South Pole or in a freezing cloud, An iceberg had seemed to move into the room when Cousin Hannah died, and the mirrors were roomed with frost like her dead eyes, and candle flames were frozen into minor stars. It was colder than the arctic alps in a high gale when the soul breathed its last with only a sound like rasping chords mr spitzer had no doubt though he was not there at the last moment for he came before or he came afterward never yet had he been present at a climax he had found in cousin hannah's house long after her death an apple an alpen horn which was twice the height which she had been and hung with a great silver bell to play the rons de lach and other melodies Call called to a lost love, a dead love. So might no straggling sheep be lost where she was going now into the and glow, the re-illumination of refracted sunlight, burning like diamond lights upon those great snow-crowned peaks and roofs of snow which already pass into the darkness ethereal and vast. Mr. Spitzer, acting as her ex- executor, had appropriated the Alpen horn, since it was not an object which she had mentioned in her will dated many years before her death. And since there was no other claimant, no heiress or heir, or if there was one who might some day appear, Mr. Spitzer must wait for that person's appearance, and since he could not endure that, it should go on auction to a stranger, especially as then Mr. Spitzer would have to buy it back for the estate, perhaps at a higher price. And perhaps, as he had told himself, if she had known that he had lived, he with his pigeon whispers and warnings and blurred voices like sounds of tiny bells, she would have wanted it to be the property of the old musician who collected musical instruments, even as an old boat collects barnacles, be it even the smuggler Sharon's boat, with a seashell nailed to its mast. But what could an alpenhorn evoke here in level coastland scarcely above the tide what mountains rising to the moon, Mr. Spitzer asked? Or could the tide draw all things, even the meadows moving like the waves? It was enough if in such a land a man could keep his head above the water. Certainly many ladies walked with their heads beneath the waves, moving as if through a tidal waves which would never reach shore, for they were like statues upholding the rain falling roofs. A few notes from an alpenhorn blowing through clouds did not necessarily usher in the Alps, just as the lute did not necessarily usher in paradise. For all those lutes played by the angels of heaven were manufactured by the old lute-makers of earth, painted like their lutes, and they were like the old horse-players. They were in their graves. He knew a great many of the old lute-makers, just as he knew many lutes which he collected, along with old viols and harps, none which had been strung in paradise, and might some day collect old harpers plucking their own harp-strings, following him through the rolling fogs. Music arose from this chaos. It seemed to him in his old age, whatever might be the end of music, but things divine were things secular, and so he valued, like aspects of a dying world, every corsicating pebble or spark shining through the iris-eyed fog, where seagulls slept in the rotted hulls of old boats half-logged by sand at the water's creeping edge. Those which had disappeared in storms a hundred years ago but have returned, where sudden wings started up as he took his evening walks along the shore, and often seen the enormous shadow of his black cape on the softened fog star- starred by stars. He would think how strange it is that ghosts have seldom or never appeared naked in men's dreams, that they were clothed by the clothing of a dream, be they seashells or ladies or horses with flowing manes, stars, waters, clouds, pebbles, sparks, that there was nothing but this clothing, that there was nothing but this great mask of life and love, even of death. No sadder elegy than this. The great courtier courtier has snipped his last thread. Mr. Spitzer would rather have written his own elegy. Surely no one knew the limitations of music, or of this life, better than he, this old musician hearing, even in his disturbed sleep, when he should have been wrapped in the silence of the profound, the raspings of seashells, the manes, coughings of horses moving through clouds, for what could be more impotent than that music which should not awaken the dead, that the musician should wander forever through fogs and waters and rolling clouds, though he should compose, if not his elegy, which was impossible so long as he lived, impossible to end. Then his abode for the evening star, morning star fading to light, music which was made of the attritions of waves on stone and on his heart, dead heart which was the paving stone for the dreamer and the dream. What awakened him? For the dead awakened only to the dead, and the dying to the dying. To awaken would be perhaps to lose the greater part of life. So Mr. Spitzer believed that he had never yet awakened fully, never except from sleep to sleep, dream to dream. And yet his dying music had some power as to suggest the dreamer when he had passed beyond the preludes of mortality. Mister Spitzer, still in a mournful mood, for someone was always dying, had carried this elfin horn, embossed of mother of pearl, heavy as a tree branch, along the foggy beach when Cousin Hannah was no more. When doubtless she had climbed her last mountain, the hailstones like burning cinders dashing in her face, and he had blown a few wandering notes like some old ghost calling to his lost love, as he had heard, above the ringing waves, ringing like silver bells, the ringing. Tolling of the silver sheep's bell, which had once rung to the lost sheep, hearing also, as he did so, the cries of the grey loons and the grey fog, and the ba of waves breaking upon the shore of stone, and fog as thick as fleece streaked with the gold rays of the moonlight, waves coming to pasture like sheep with loony eyes beamed upon the waves of darkness. Like many moons or like the souls of the dead, as he had thought where the fog-bound phoenix fireflies lighted to his uncertain, wavering path. Thinking also that the shepherd was lost, lost like the dog star in a rolling cloud, like the lost following the lost, but then quite unexpectedly as he was passing through an upland meadow like a fallen firmament star- starred with daisies in the fog, the fleecy fog, a ram had stepped out of the fog, and other sheep had followed Mr. Spitzer, and after that he had been followed by men in the gray cities, by lost men although he was lost, and none more lost than he, this old musician blowing his horn in the clouds, so from this old suffragette he had learned something after all, she had brought him by her dying to reality and she had taught him much expanding his sympathies in his domain as if only when she had died he had lived breathed whispered beginning to understand the meaning of all those ambiguities he might once have impatiently ignored all those ambivalences he might once have attributed not to himself but to his brother's checkered career and butterfly life among the shadows Knowing now the power of a dead beauty, a dead love, a vanquished life, and that sterility which begets, even like death, Mr. Spitzer said, all beautiful things of this creation, the image of all dead loves, for who had ever known the present moment? The sense of the immediate was freighted with the past, and if it were not, then what would be the present but an empty room, a closed door, the hull of an old boat stripped bare of its shrouds, a withered rose, a dead love. For who had ever seen living beauty, beauty stripped bare of all pretenses and all illusions, Beauty revealed as beauty was. And were not all beautiful things the ghosts of themselves in this transmuting life? Even like mirror images returning the reflections of that which had already faded, even like dreams, memories fading into air, perhaps as one awakened from sleep to sleep, even like voices fading into distant thunderclouds, warnings whispers already fading into music no one had heard. The weight of the unspoken music was that which Mr. Mr. Spitzer knew. The cloud upon the face of beauty was beauty itself, so never would he lift the cloud the clouds had settled over her if he knew not her omega then how did he know her alpha for she was already old obsolete as some old coin which had gone out of circulation long before the age of hugh decapit mr spitzer thought perhaps long before he knew her cousin Hannah had surely been though forgotten by mountain climbers now though remembered in no stud book of mountain climbing which was probably less inclusive than the stud books listing the great stallions sires and mares who listed not among those who had lost their lives those who had conquered great pinnacles of all known mountains and some which were unknown to man though remembered not by any mountain tomb or cloud citadel though no coin had been struck off in her memory neither gold nor silver nor lead nor stone not even though bearing the image of some great turban turk or paladin some old helmeted crusader who had perished if not on this outward journey to the holy land than on his journey of return which was a longer journey or some old roman emperor who had minted too many coins Though remembered by no winged horse's head or harp, by no commemorative image with Mr. Spitzer's fading laurel leaf or breath of mountain mist or snowdrops or alpine holy, holy grass, he had brought to cover her coffin when she was dead, the great mountain climber who had conquered snow-crowned summits and frozen pinnacles, the great trailblazer blazing like a rising star, falling star, perhaps the greatest mountain climber unknown to history, surely the greatest ever known among ladies. Yet seldom or never had she spoken of her mountain climbing exploits and expeditions until she was dying. For that of which she should have been proud, she was ashamed, Mr. Spitzer believed, and, indeed, had noted that many famous people valued not so much their world-shaking fame and splendors of posterity as one moment of oblivion. It was oblivion from which they had fled, and yet it was oblivion toward which they fled, as if they feared that which they loved, loved that which they feared. Oblivion was ever at the heart of fame." Certainly, as Mr. Spitzer must conceive, there were many men who might say that she had tried to take every lady's lily-white hand and lead her troops toward freedom under the silken banner of suffrage. Had been a charlatan, a mere poser, a mount bonk, the sorriest adventurer seeking only to mislead, to bewilder, to shock, to destroy their loves, to create chaos. But they forgot her motive, which had been her love, and they forgot her secret cowardice, seeming to Mr. Spitzer more heroic than greatest heroism was. Perhaps they would have loved her if they had known her weeping when a snowflake fell upon her mottled cold hand as the skin of a frog. If they had known that her granite was but a facade, and she was weaker than woman was, and she had crumbled now most surely into waters and clouds, darkness, whirlwind, snow, snow water. She was like a man whom woman had destroyed, a woman who was abandoned by her love, Or an old house where no lover ever came, and where the door banged in the wind. She was like all great lovers who had been set to wandering, crying at all gates, knocking on the doors of all dead hearts, crying for the loves, lost loves. She was like a dead planet wandering. Perhaps she had returned to mountains, or wandered ever with the dead moon, that moon which, though dead, was the ensign of deathless love throughout history, and in all countries under the stars, and countries where the stars had faded, countries where there were no stars, or where the stars had fallen. Mr. Spitzer thought most especially in frosty nights when the clouds creaked and moved in the windy heavens like the great stones rolling away from graves, or in nights when he heard the winds creaking, croaking like the cloakings of fog, which gave voice to death, which was never spoken by woman or man. This was the music written by no man, Mr. Spitzer believed, listening with his dead ear as some old hound lifted its ear, or was it a ferret? Was it before the day of the dog? Music lay under the silence, above the silence. This life was but the thinnest surface. He heard the thinnest whisper, papery star falling or sand grain which whispered, I am thine only love, I am thine only love, my dear of dears. Because of me there grew this great pearl enclosing shadows and many windings and warped depths and opalescent flames. She had been so light that she had had scarcely any way to lift herself from earth or to find her way through heavy winds and clouds so delicate then when she was dying that she should have increased her body by ballast, that she should have eaten hourglasses and goblets and knobs and apples of hesperides, like the opium lady dreaming among the shadows, or should have eaten sand greens and pebbles and barnacles like the light-beamed cranes who do so in order to navigate a true course, flying in the long-tailed Y-shade through windy heavens, flying like a Chinaman's queue, and who will close around a tired bird, or a bird blown off his course, upholding him with the air-current caused by the undulating flight of their oar-wings, and who will go back for a lost leader, drifting through clouds. She had been the boldest mountain-climber ever known among the members of the weaker sex. there was little doubt, scaling Alps exceeding Alps, perhaps the mountains of illusion, snow falling on her jagged forehead even when she burned, so that winter had come like a courtier in her wake, and the snow had covered her dead heart, bleeding heart under the pale sun streaking the clouds, and the air had darkened, and the clouds had frozen as Mr. Spitzer watched, and the snows had melted not. One bold in her sense of adventure, which had not understood the courage of timid things, not even Mr. Spitzer's heart, or so he had always supposed, she had given, she had said when she was dying, when the last ember burned low for the last time, a long leash to love, harnessing not the dead moon in the cloud, such freedom as had never been given to her, bound to suffrages to life, "'letting her love go. "'Her love had gone on strange adventures and missions, "'and yet had she not been the greatest coward, "'noble and not noble?' Mr. Spitzer asked. "'So great a coward that all heroes were eclipsed by this persistent love. "'This love went on when there was neither subject nor object. "'If she had been all that she had seemed to be, "'if her motives had been transparent and crystal clear, "'there would have been little point Mr. Spitzer's musical post-mortem "'and inquiries as to the meaning of the secret heart which was not his heart.' But there were great secrets, and intrigues, and fateful wars, perhaps misleading him when she was dead, when she whispered no more her lute music, and scraping winter winds, and freezing clouds, when he must inquire in many streets, ask of many strangers in the fog-bound darkness, scarcely lighted by a star, perhaps in those nights when he was stalled in the fog, or when he, pushing ahead of him with his cane, unsteady as if there were waves in his path, lived uncertainly for fear of colliding with some old tramp like a derelict schooner? with tattered sails reeling through the wind-tattered fog, appearing perhaps many years after its disappearance. Have you seen my lady, or my lord? Did you ever know her, one who lived in memory of a dead love? Do you remember her, whom all have forgotten except myself, and I am no more? This is not a man, you see. This is but the shadow of man. Did you ever see her? People must have thought Mr. Spitzer was quite mad, asking these questions in the rolling darkness like an obsessed census-taker who might count the same persons over and over again he find that there were always one missing, like a supernumerary star, or spark, or glow-worm. There was always one missing, no matter how often he counted, no matter if the total increase that he had gained many, for yet he had lost one who was incalculable. And yet he had found, though oblivion was hers, for she was covered by the eternal snow, that snow melting not, but increasing like that oblivion decreasing, not with time's elusive passage, for time passes not, and only man passes. One who had said that he remembered this great suffrage captain, one who knew her when she was a leader of the moon breasted flock flying through windy heavens, one who had said that she was beautiful, an old steeple-headed steeplejack or steeple Jill, who, tall as a church steeple, had lurched out of the billowing fog one night when Mr. Spitzer, wind blowing through his cape, his black cape dragging him from starboard to larboard so that he staggered, reeled, lurched, or went miles off his course which he had left uncharted, so that he might gain new orientations through disorientation immeasurable, and might make no errors to latitude, longitude unable to gain a mile unless he lost a mile or returned perhaps upon himself or was blown into whirling vortexes like whirlpools of alien memory never ceasing rippling for years after he was gone, his mass broken was plowing his uneven way where strange lights like crackling stars broke under his feet and who had answered Mr. Spitzer's questions as the wind whistled through Mr. Spitzer's shrouds, almost drowning his voice by these replies. I fell the night she fell. I was fallen the night she was fallen. When was the night? I fell when stars fell from the clouds, and there were falling paving stones, falling snows, great avalanches over the roofs, and there were amputated stars, whistlings, winds, gales, and white-winged schooners driven from pole to pole, and there were ladies scudding under white umbrellas. I am amputated, O my Lord. Um, I am dead, you dear sire. Dead is the heart buried under the earth. Dead is all dead things. Dead is the balloonist shrouded in the garden. Dead is the eunuch among the purple shadows. Dead is the great master, Mr. Spitzer heard this old steeplejack saying, almost like the muffled echo of his thoughts as his cape bellowed around him, cast his shadow upon the glassy sands. This is a negress in the belfry. There is a negress in the belfry. She is ringing. Oh, she is ringing. Ah, uh, I am no more, my lady or my lord. I exist, and yet I exist not, for my existence is my death, just like yours. I live because I am dead. I am dead as the census taker, dead as the watchman, the bricklayer, the surveyor with his plummet line. I am dead because I live, breathe, whisper. I love because I love not. I love not because I love. I am filled with self-contradictions like heart murmurs. I love because I have died. For all who have died have loved, and all who have loved have died. All who have loved have drowned. For they were not upheld by love or by stone angels arising into foundationless clouds. Love sank with them. Some were drowned in the graveyard. Some were drowned in the city. Some were drowned in their beds. Some were killed by a raindrop. Some by a sand grave. Some were killed by a snowflake. Some were killed by an avalanche. Some went down with a herring fleet to herring like silver leaves. Some were killed by a pigeon's wing. I whisper because I am silent. I am silent because I cry. I cry because I depart. I depart because I stay. I am filled with murmurs, whirrings, bells, voices. Look closer, sir. It is a clock face, The clock which tells no time, No hour in a timeless world of dreams, Memories altering chances. Time is the cloud which crosses this face. My machinery is clogged by leaves, wings. My minute hand pursues, not my hour hand. My tall jockey pursues, not my short jockey. My numerals are faded. Eternity was but a moment. The great steeplechase is over. What mad bell-ringer rings these bells, like earth and heaven ringing? Pigeons ring these bells. There are o- only these flocks of pigeons flying across the face of the moon, dead moon, for it is the city of the dead, where now you walk. Are you awake or asleep? What hour in the night and in the city? And truly Mr. Spitzer had heard pigeon murmurings and crying of cranes in the opalescent fog by the sea which was the color of a dead pigeon's breast, and he had heard cricket whistles, and distant traffic, and ivory horns in the fog, where were suddenly lighted windows. He had heard bells, music of trembling bridges, footfalls, and almost might seem as if he were caught in one of the opium lady's dreams, much like the fly in the spider's web. But this was not the case, for it was not the opium lady, but that great patriarchal suffrage captain, who by her dying of which he had been the watchman as of a dying star, had given a new meaning to life and love, so that now his experience increased, and much that he had never understood before, he had come to understand, including his own life and death. All was not over so long as there was one card out, one card, whether it was heart or spade. That factor of mystery made all things possible. Much it seemed at that time like the acme of madness, perhaps some substitute for life, perhaps some substitute for death, perhaps a tragic love or act of renunciation which had been proposed by one who was dying, Mr. Spitzer believed, understanding that before the great fiction of death, there might be many imaginary sparks starting up either like a new life or aspects of life not previously revealed, and often seeming to him that if he had had no brother before, he would have had his twin at his last hour, perhaps to light the way for him. She had cried, as Mr. Spitzer remembered long years afterward. Ah oh, bright star of my love find your way to the lightless star find your way to one who has neither wings nor light for I am dying now and mountains resurrect themselves before the last great cataclysm and mountains sink like tiny sails and my love goes down